Hi and welcome to series two of the People First interview series where we shine a light on great companies that not only do interesting and cool work but most importantly look after their people. Identify Global is a market leader in personalised career management and talent acquisition consultancy specialising in high growth tech sector such as legal tech, fintech, clean tech and biotech and future transport and mobility with great candidate experience guaranteed. I'm excited today to be joined by Sheila Lord Director of BMR Health and Wellbeing. BMR operationalised wellbeing to build healthier and happier businesses together. BMR is on a mission to make sure that every employee has access to health and wellbeing support so that businesses can run smoothly, efficiently and in a much happier way. Hi Sheila, how are you? I'm very good, thank you. Thanks for having me on the uh, on the podcast today. My pleasure, yeah, thanks for being a guest. You are my first guest of Series 2 and uh, yeah, I didn't even know that I'd have a series two when we, when we started this. So, uh, um, so yeah, and it's great to kick off with uh, with an expert like yourself. So, uh, thanks for taking the time to to have a chat with me. Um, so, tell me a bit about yourself, Sheila. Yeah, you're my first fully fledged expert on the podcast. So, uh, um, you know, who are you? Um, and um, yeah, well, how how do you get into organisational health? Okay, so um, as you say, Sheila, Director of BMR Health and Wellbeing, it was my business that I founded a couple of years ago after a long career in um, supply chain um, in the manufacturing and uh, electronics industry. Um, And I'd worked in that industry in kind of quite a long period of time in two different organisations with two very different leadership and management styles, two very different cultures. Uh, The first one was, you know, I had a boss who was like a bear with a sore head, but he was brilliant, great leader, very big character, um, very high standards, but my goodness, did he inspire us all to do a really, really good job. And then the other environment I worked in was very toxic, very competitive, everybody up against each other. Uh, it, it was a very sales driven um, environment, uh, a lot of lack of trust and all based on who was bringing in the best numbers at that point in time. So the the, the culture just went, you know, and, and the behaviours were up and down all the time. Um, and it was uh, every man for himself really Um, and you know I'd kind of as a manager myself I'd work myself up through the ranks so you know I'd started very much in the purchasing department answering the phone being this mild meek not that you'd think it these days but this mild meek um, young girl that was so terrified to answer the phones I was so shy um, to eventually becoming um, ops director but during that time I had no training as such on how to manage people. I got to where I, it's a thing that we see all the time, you get to where you get uh, because you're good at a particular job and you moved up and then over time you gather people and you gather responsibilities and the training that goes with that does, well, it's either not there or it comes very reactively. Um, So my fabulous boss back up in Manchester at the time was always sending me on interpersonal skills courses. Because believe me, I've been there, I've done that, and I've done everything wrong when it comes to people management. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, having kind of left my last environment and decided that actually it's potluck when you go into a business, you know, do you get do you get what it says of the tin? Does the company really, truly reflect the values that they um, speak about? And and I think having more companies talking about the values is is a bit of a newer trend. Um, And I just thought. I don't want to be walking into an environment where I'm not sure what I'm going to get. So uh, I'm going to work for myself. 
Um, and what I'm going to do is try and be the difference that I want to see uh, in businesses and, and help them to create healthy cultures and healthy yeah. uh, work environments where work is good for people, not making them ill. Yeah, that's interesting because you're absolutely right. And, you know, most organisations, you tend to get, you know, two types of managers, those that care about people and those that have just been good at their job and, and have been, you know, elevated into those positions. And, you know, as the saying goes, you know, people don't leave companies, they leave managers. And, um, you know, you're one of, you know, you're on that pathway of, you know, I actually care. And obviously you've been, you know, you've had a, someone that was, who's also cared and, and given you the platform to develop and, you know, um, and, uh, and, 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 yeah, move into those, into those right environments. And yeah, there's, there's so many people that, um, uh, certainly I've come across certainly in sales environments where you're a top biller so therefore you must be good so what we want is people to look and feel like you and and those managers aren't always well they're not they don't want to be managers first and foremost they tend to be quite selfish mm. um and actually like you say they they tend to take the extra money because they want the extra money rather than the extra responsibility or the the custodianship of uh, of, of people um and um and yeah you get that balance don't you where you get you, you get people that are really great managers that are just not very good at the job and uh you know at, or at that that particular job and um so it's really hard to find that 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 right area isn't it that right balance it is and it's what you say what do we want from our managers are we promoting somebody because they're a good salesperson like you say they're not interested in having responsibility for the people they're not interested in teaching somebody how to do what they do well because they want to shine all the time and they want to be bringing those sales in. they want to be bringing those commissions in so you will have that very driven and and, and that's great we need those different skill sets in an organization for a business to thrive but we don't need all those skill sets and it will be very difficult to find all those skill sets in one person. Yeah. Um, so it's recognising and understanding what people are good at and creating a work environment that plays to people's strengths. So we have got people, you know, good people managers, you know, being a manager is like being a parent, you know, yeah. we're there to nurture and to develop and to show people the way. Um, so, you know, those people that have those natural skill sets it's best to nurture them and recognize what people are good at um so yeah it's um i think it's overlooked isn't it well i mean in an ideal world you'd have a combination of all of those people in your business you know you know top billers or uh, you know people that are experts at their job great leaders but you, you know you don't always have that luxury of having multiple people in in your team or environments to to, to do that so can um you know can great leaders be developed or do you think that is an, an uh, is that a trait that's that sort of yeah that's in you from 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 day one i think we've all kind of got our personalities we've got our traits we've got kind of you know our core personality traits our mid ones you know we can take all these personality tests and all the rest of it but yeah i think i think leadership um, can be developed i think that good managers can be developed and i think at the end of the day this you know for me it all kind of comes from the behaviors that we see and that we model around us you know you take it back to a child situation and a family situation you know, children, they model the behaviours that they see around them. They model the behaviours in the playground. They model behaviours at home. And it's exactly the same in a work environment. We mimic our environments. And if we see somebody succeeding in the workplace because they're tough, and I've done this, I've fallen, I've fallen into this, you know, because they're tough, because they're hard, because they have a way of, like, pushing people in a certain way that inspires leadership. And that inspires people to be motivated. And then somebody tries to do that, but they haven't got that right skill sets. That can come off really, really badly. 
it, you know we've seen other people trying to mimic behaviors and then there are some people that can just do that but i think with the right development with the right support with the right training with the modeling of the right behaviors it is possible to be able to do that yeah absolutely so we're, we're here today to discuss uh, you know building a high performing culture in today's remote working environment okay and uh, and i think we've gone you know full circle and a bit more right um on on you know what remote working looks like in today's you know we've gone from being completely remote everyone's saying yeah we're going to be remote forever and you know all these companies came out on linkedin and said oh you know we've gone remote first and look how cool we are and you know and then those same companies are now driving these people back into the office and saying you know no you've got to work in the office and and, and i think candidates well employees have, have gone full circle on it and a bit more advice you know mm -hmm. some of them saying i only ever want remote now because it's great to go and actually i wouldn't mind working back in the office and having a bit of a blend and you know um and um you know we've even started to speak to candidates that just want to work in an office now you know because their home situation doesn't allow them to work at home for whatever reason so and that's fair enough so um you know what in in your opinion you know um do you think the office environment has a place for maintaining that culture is is the office a, a, a pivotal part to having a culture in, in a in a business environment i think it depends very much on the business i think it's it's a very individual person um response and it's a very much an individual business response so as you say there's so many people have so many different needs and variations you know for a lot of people work is a sanctuary it's a safe place of work um and for others you know kind of not having that commute i know for me personally i had a four hour round trip commute now in four hours i could have seen my child taken him to school done two at least two hours of extra work walk my dog you know, done some exercise. There are lots of other things I can do in four hours rather than looking at somebody's exhaust pipe. Um, so I just don't think there is um, a single answer for all businesses. I think that businesses need to look at uh, what it is. What are the needs of the staff? What are the needs of the organisation? Do we have to be in there? And I think the most important thing is that we need to consult with our employees and have a say because if we've got happy and engaged employees and we can meet the needs of the business with the needs of the staff then we're on to a winner um, and I think this is the thing that gets overlooked so much is that we don't often consult listen and respond to what we're being told by our employees we may ask we may listen but then we fail to often consult and agree together yeah what what is going to um what's going to be um, the right thing to move forward and you're absolutely right i'm hearing horror stories of employers that have not just survived the pandemic they've thrived and actually been better uh, when people have been 100 percent working from home and they are now forcing people back into the office pushing for five days a week um not even any flexible working no. and the morale is just going down and down and down, putting spyware onto laptops because they're now showing that they're not trusting people to have that that level of um, autonomy of, of working from home. Um, and it, you know, it then starts to create these really toxic um, work cultures. You know, pre-pandemic, we were already shifting towards kind of, you know, having your admin days and your working at home days, often res reserved for the kind of middle to senior managers um but i think that you know this pandemic has now 
driven that forward uh, in terms of progress a good five or ten years yeah yeah absolutely i mean it, yeah it's, it's crazy isn't it that you know when you're in an office environment there's an expectation there's a you know you're on you're in the office environment you expect to be looked after and watched and you know all of those sorts of things but um, when you when you bring that office culture into your home um you know the world changes you know that the, the whole dynamic of your home changes as well and you know like you know we're i'm at home today and you know we're we're talking into you know into, into each other's homes and um you know that that's fine for for the majority of it but when you start adding in you know spyware and you know you've got a clock in and out and you know your, your productivity is being matched you know that 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 changes now some roles are absolutely needed if you know if you're in a call center for example when you're mm. working early you know you need to have slots and things like that and it, i think it also helps manage people's days because it's you know it's easy to you know go and make a coffee and get distracted by the news and, and things like that so um it, it that, that culture becomes you know, it's really it's, like you say that 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 um you know that consult consultation process around what it works and i think a lot of companies have they take this sort of big company mentality right if you're a big company you have you, you, it's impossible to consult with everybody you know that you 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 have to run it's not it's like turning a big ship but when you've got a smaller you know mid you know sme type company it's so much easier to consult and actually i think you know the owners of these companies forget and they take this sort of big mentality and saying no nope, this is how we're going to do it and it's one rule for one and not you know and um you know, but these um, yeah, the people overlook that. It's so easy just to say, look, how could it work better for us, mm. and then grow from there. And you know, sometimes you have to make adjustments as you go along. Um, so. Yeah, and I think it's interesting that you say there about this consulting piece of this big company mentality, because what we have, you know, when we're looking at culture, workplace well-being, how we do things, you know, we might there's big organisations might conduct a great big annual engagements and engagement survey, for example, and then what you get is the SLTs. And the senior leadership teams and maybe the higher, you know, the mid-management teams or looking at the results of this kind of, you know, overarching survey. But what we're not doing is we're not breaking it down and we're taking, we need to take a small SME approach in the big companies, not the other way around. Mm-hmm. Uh, because the big companies are made up of basically small SMEs. There are all different departments are effectively SMEs. And why not? cascade down that autonomy so that actually we'll have some overarching policies we'll have some overarching kind of controls and measures in place and and process because we need that we're a big organization but at a lower level let's give people a say in their own destiny about the way that work's done about the way that work's designed about the way shift patterns are measured as long as we're getting the outcomes that are needed for those departments or maybe even exceeding those outcomes what's the harm in kind of breaking down um, that autonomy and cascading yeah. it further down yeah absolutely yeah I mean you know I speak to a lot of companies about about their culture and what you know especially during the pandemic and um, you know everyone says you know they, they like to give you a load of buzzwords don't they and it's like you know we're, we're fast-paced we're dynamic we're with this that and the other and you think <laughs> okay great these are all great words you know um, you know and why wouldn't you want to be those things and then then you sort of look over and you see Bob dying in the corner and you think <laughs> you're anything but fast paced and dynamic you know it's um you know but is it is, that, is it a misunderstood term is you know it, it is is there a difference between you know is culture a misunderstood term i guess you know it's it, you know someone once said culture each strategy for breakfast and and you read all the time now that you know culture and, and people are a company's biggest asset and you know they drive you know bottom line profits and things like that but 
what goes wrong? I mean, because why would you know? No one wants a rubbish culture, do they? So, um, how, how what is it? What, what's your take on the word culture? Yeah, I think. Well, you know, we look at the culture of an organisation. It's just how it behaves, isn't it? It's behaviours in in the organisation. It's the you know, people will tell you it's the values, it's beliefs, and and, and all the rest of it. It's the personality of the organisation. It's the beliefs. It's the behaviours. It's you know, it's how people are within that business and. You know, you look at, say, a toxic culture and a good culture. So I came out of a really good work culture. OK, and for the for the 15 or so years that I was at this company in Manchester, it was it was fantastic. We had a great lead. You know, we had a great and it went through quite a few different changes. So I started the young girl, you know, decent managers, a couple, you know, a couple of decent managers that really believed in me. The company was growing. Everybody was feeling positive. The guy that led the company, you know, has is, you know, he's a very techie guy. But he had um, not really a people guy, but very techy guy. But he had people, people underneath him. So we had a really great culture there. There was a really great buzz. Everybody wanted the organisation to succeed. And then all of a sudden, there was a venture capitalist brought in and he sold the business. And then all of a sudden, the values, the beliefs, all of that personality, all of the heart and soul of that business changed overnight. It absolutely changed overnight. You know, you look at programs, there's a there's a Netflix documentary on Boeing at the moment when Boeing sold out in the 90s and it became listed on the stock market. And literally overnight, the values and the beliefs and the safety systems all sorts started to literally change because the values of that organisation started to change. Um, so, you know, for me, culture is very much about, you know, is everybody on the same page? Do we share the same end goal are we all working towards that same thing having that sense of belonging that sense of meaningfulness that sense of accomplishment um, that makes us want to succeed every day and once that personality changes once that heart changes of the business it's it's really difficult really challenging it's interesting because you know you could argue that nothing's really changed there like only if just something you know uh, uh, the maybe the direction or um but but the the people are still the same right so it's, it's almost like the, something's gone wrong with the, something's clicked differently with the people right unless you start bringing in the wrong people i mean you know i often say that um you know there isn't such thing as a bad company or a bad person there's just a bad um connection you know you put the wrong person into the wrong culture it doesn't make them a bad person it just means you're in the wrong culture you know if you put the, if you put someone who doesn't like sales into a sales environment, they would just hate. They hate it, and because mm. it's fast paced and it's money, 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 money. You know, it's, it's like that, and then, and it doesn't. It doesn't align to their values, for example. And then, whereas likewise, if you put a, a you know potentially maybe bad examples, but a salesperson into maybe something that's a bit more um, slow paced. You know, maybe it's not necessarily financial. There's no direct outcome. It's more about you know, you know, doing some research, for example. They're not necessarily going to get a buzz out of that because there's no there's no tangible benefit for them. So. You know, does that make them a bad company? Or does it just it means there's a bad fit? So, you know, how does it go wrong? You know, what, I mean, I, I know you talk about some. There's been a change in in the in the ownership, but surely everyone wants a good culture. So, how how do you get a, a, a you know a, a, a bad culture in that sense? I think it aligns going back to what we said before about the different values. You know, so you might work for a lot. So, taking Boeing because I watched that that documentary yeah. recently. You know. Everybody in Boeing, when it was kind of, you know, in its early days and it was starting to grow and they were producing all these fantastic aeroplanes, there was a real sense of pride in the organisation. It was all around the quality, the engineering, you know, the precision. Everybody 
had this sense of meaningfulness in Bowen's, this real sense of family, this real sense of belonging. Yeah. And then, you know, when those changes were made, when it became very shareholder driven, it was driven by profit. And then there was a disconnect between the values of the people that had worked there all this time. And then when this, this change in values came, so that the values are no longer quality and, and, and maybe engineering and over-engineering so we get everything perfect and right all the time. It was let's strip some cost out where we can, let's strip some cost out where we can. Yeah, so yeah. they very quickly, and again, a very big organisation became a massive disconnect between the board and the shareholders and what the prices were on the stock exchange to what was actually going on the shop floor. And that, you know, that disintegrated um, and had a massive impact on the performance of the company. So I think it's, you know, it, we try to overcomplicate it, but, you know, there's a shift in values. There's a shift yeah. in in what what it is that makes us get up and go to work and go to bed uh, and get out of bed every day. So I, I can imagine this happens quite a lot in organisations, whether it's a changing board, changing ownership, changing manager, you know, um, and, and culture, you know, as we said earlier, you know, change. So how how do you then work with companies to get it right you know what's what's the what's this well not asking well, to give away your secret but you know but uh, you know how, how do you help organizations get it right whether it's a changing culture or whether it's just you know implementing a culture maybe and and yeah well, how, how how do you how does bmr help them do that yeah i don't say implementing a culture i think what we try to do um, you know what we hope we do successfully is to give organizations a framework of how they should be working with and 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 created workplaces that people want to be a part of okay so you know if you've got a really toxic work environment there's definitely some serious work to be done there and there'll be a different you know there'll be a culture fit there'll be a people organization fit you know and there's a lot more work to get through there but essentially people and I always remember this you know out of all the different interpersonal skills courses I've sent on over the years um you know and I've you know People are who they are and, you know, very, you know, play to people's strengths and what have you. But I always remember saying, somebody saying to me once, Sheila, people that work for you do not get up in the morning to come into the office to do a bad job that really winds you up just to naff you off. I'll use that word instead of the other word I was told. Um, just to do that. They don't do that. They don't. Nobody gets up to come to work to do a bad job. Very rarely. Uh, just with the sole intention of, of uh, yeah. making the boss unhappy and once I understood that and that sounds like a really simple thing to say but once I understood that nobody comes to work to do a bad job we all want to take a sense of meaningfulness a sense of pride sorry in what we're doing we all want to feel that what we're actually doing contributes to the bigger picture and we all want to feel like we belong that we're part of something what we try, what we what we do when we're working with the organisations is we provide the support and the training and the education about, you know, if we just and it seems really simple, but if we have just have these tools that we have that we can create these pathways, these communication, um, so that we can create an environment of basically of psychological safety. What we're looking to do is to create a workspace, a workplace, different departments that all feel that they have a voice they all feel that they can contribute to the organization that they can speak up that we've got this what we call psychological safety in the workplace where people can speak up without fear of 
you know, being not considered for that promotion the next time round because we said something that wasn't in line with the company's direction or the company's values, or they said something and they were they were shot down by somebody who was, you know, a manager that didn't have great people skills and made them feel stupid. So that person never spoke up again, but had a lot to offer. Uh, and it's about trying to it's about working with organisations so that we can break that down and create these really psychologically safe workspaces. Um, and a lot of that comes through working with the managers, um, working, you know, identifying what are the underlying issues within the organisation. So we've got tools that we could use to do that. Um, and then really getting that out in the open and having open conversations uh, and breaking that down from this big, I'm the boss, it's me that needs to tell you what the solution is to all of these problems to, I'm your manager, I'm here to help and support you. Tell me what it is that you need from me and I'll tell you if that's possible. And then slowly but surely we can start to build up this area where there's this two-way two communication. Organisations are talking to each other at all levels um, and able to identify opportunities where the business can grow and improve. And, you know, a lot of organisations we hear talk about workplace well-being, we hear talk about workplace mental health, we hear talk about culture. But it's, it all kind of comes into the same thing. It's about very much getting back to having this human-centric approach. It's about the person, not the job role, the job type. It's about the person and about, you know, understanding those people so that we can get the best out of everybody in the organisation and work together harmoniously. Yeah, I mean, psychological safety, you know, we, we, we hear a lot and, um, you know, I talk to a lot of business owners and, um, you know, when we talk about, you know, what do you do for mental health, they, they'll, they'll flash some sort of, you know, perk box, um, you know, offering and uh, which is which is great, but it's often seen as a bit of a, sort of, you know, organisations, I guess, are too are, are fearful. Um, certainly, I've heard this about creating a sort of crash environment, right? And it's Absolutely. Like, you know, it's just a bit, you know, it's all a bit woolly and, you know, we're all sitting around, you know, hugging each other and sharing our thoughts and feelings, but no work's getting done. So, you know, what, you know, uh, what will... so how do you how do you sell this to an organisation? What, you know, apart from having happy people, and look, we understand it's pretty obvious you've got happy people, but trust me, I've worked with some really happy people and they don't do any work, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> um, you know, yeah. So, yeah, where's the benefit? What's and what, what are the benefits? Yeah, I mean, you're right. You know, a lot of organisations, we do the fluffy stuff. We can sit sit round all dancing, come by yard and all the rest of it. You know, <laughs> we do all the fluffy stuff. Um, and I think with organisations, you know, we've got to be sensible here. We, we are we are businesses, yeah? And we've got yeah. work to do. And we haven't got time all the time to sit around and be in all come by yard. A good culture, a good workplace well-being isn't anything to do with that you know um so yeah it's great many organizations they go after all these well-marketed products so you know we'll have things like oh let's get some mental health first aiders but that's brilliant but that's like saying let's get some physical physical first aiders and let's not have any safe systems of work we'll just watch people falling off scaffoldings and we'll just all stand at the bottom waiting to catch them so yeah mental health first aid is great but very reactive you know employee assistance and having counselors to talk to great but we've already got people that are potentially made ill from work what we're saying is like, just let's not put undue amounts of stress on people for long periods of time. And work is stressful, work can be stressful. What we need to identify is how is work impacting people's stress levels? Yeah, we need stress, we need, it's like an elastic band, it needs some tension for it to perform. You know, human beings, we need some kind of pressure 
Uh, but it's when that pressure becomes prolonged over long periods of time, like if you're stretching an elastic band, eventually that level of tension, keep that level of, you know, acceptable levels of pressure, stress, whatever that may be, but make sure that people aren't breaking as a result of work. So we provide them with frameworks and with tools that we can put in place to enable conversations with employees. Let's look at the areas of work and work design that are contributing to people becoming highly stressed as a result of work. So, and, and the stuff that we do doesn't uncover things like, let's get somebody in to do meditation or get Bendy Brenda in on a Friday to do yoga or having a bowl of fruit instead of the chocolate biscuits is gonna make us all healthier. It's not to do with anything like that. So, you know, we've got tools that we can use to help identify what work factors are stressing people out so is it workload yeah so for example um you know we we did a workshop with an organization and it came out that workload and it was a training organization workloading um the people that prepared all the training materials uh, came out as a as a really high factor okay? okay um so being overworked and actually when we got the people all together and we looked at the results we started to understand what this workload was it was periodic workload and what it was was the sales department who were taking the orders for the training delivery would have their orders on the desk for a week, maybe two weeks, but they weren't handing them over until 24 hours before they were needed. Right, okay. So there wasn't a workload stress issue in the workplace as such. There was a poor communication issue where department A didn't understand what department B wanted. And the simple solution was that was a, an agreed service level between the two of them. But if you handed it over within this amount of time, you would get it in this amount of days and it wouldn't cause us any stress. And I think over time, the last eight, five to eight years, there's been too much emphasis put on making individuals feel happy at work yeah by giving them perk boxes or um a, a duvet day or whatever yeah we wouldn't need duvet days if and, and these other stress relievers necessarily and I'm, I'm you know i'm being very simplistic here yeah, yeah. if we weren't getting made stressed as a result of work so i would much rather somebody address the the work factor that was making like I don't get that old I don't get that passed over to me in time sort that out and I'm not stressed sort out the fact that I've got to go through five signatures to get a pen out of the stationery cupboard yeah <laughs> sort the process out that's causing me stress then my stress goes away so let's focus on the design of work and the way that work is done to make it less stressful and if we're looking at that, so taking that example of the pen, you know, how long, you know, does it take me to get a pen? When I worked in manu manufacturing, we did um, we did um, some lean improvement, business improvement Sigma. techniques, so, yeah. yeah, that type of stuff for the um, for the warehouse. And people in the warehouse were stressed. We've got too much work on. We've got too much work. And was like, we need more temps. We need more temps. We need more temps. And we worked with them and we got the video cameras out and we'd done the little string diagrams and the spaghetti diagrams of them on there. They had one printer service in the whole warehouse, yeah? But people were printing out dispatch notes all day long. The printer was on the other side of the warehouse and you could just see where all of this time. So it wasn't that they were stressed. They were stressed as a, as a result of the way work was designed. Yeah, yeah. When we worked with them, when we showed them the videos back, when they could see what was going on, we did some really simple things. Everybody had a tool belt. 
everybody had a printer. Everybody had a label printer. It cost us a few thousand pounds, but it saved us a hell of a lot of money in temps. Yeah, yeah. It made us a hell of a lot more efficient. And then when we had some natural attrition, we actually ended up being overstaffed in the warehouse because we didn't need that many people because we were working more efficiently. So, you know, if we look at this from a work <laughs> factors and a work design and a work-based approach, actually, once people have more of a say in the direction of the job and the way that that work's being done, it becomes more productive. They become naturally just happier. And I don't mean in a happy, clappy kind of way, just more happier at work. And I think we need to take some of the fluff out of it and just get back to practicalities, which is if the way that we do work is less stressful, we're going to do work better and be more productive. We're going yeah. to feel less like staying at home um, and sneak, you know, kind of curling up under the duvet and more like getting on with our jobs because we feel like we've got more control. Yeah, I love it. And well, like, like you said earlier, it's about that, that consultation period. And actually, it's, um, yeah, I think it's an important point there about being less stressed as opposed to more happier. Um, because I think often we, everyone feels like they have to throw things at people to keep them happy as opposed to reducing their stress. And I think there's a difference, isn't there? there between... A massive difference, a yeah. massive difference. And that's what we do. We So, you know, you said it right at the very beginning, and, you know, I think to put it into context, it's operationalising well-being, yeah? You don't kind of just go, oh, how do we keep our customers happy? Oh, we'll throw a perk box at them. You wouldn't do that, yeah. you know? What would you do? You'd give them what they want when they want it at the right, you know, all the right price and all this that we do with customers. But what yeah. we do with customers, the point I'm trying to make here is that it's operationalized. The way that we do customer satisfaction, customer service, products, quality products, it's operationalized in the way that we do business. And we need to do the same with the well-being of our people. You know, they're not, we, we've come to the point where we recognize that we don't own people. Yeah. They're not our commodities. They're not our assets. These are human beings not human doings yeah they work for us and they do stuff for us but at the end of the day the human beings that just want to be consulted and and treated with respect and be able to get on with the job that they've been employed to do yeah. so we need to make it as simple as possible and as efficient and as effective as possible to do that and the other way that we're going to do that is looking at applying this model of constantly evaluating the work environment taking things like we did in the warehouse yeah that's no different i'm not you know we operation we looked at the operations of the warehouse to create a work environment that was more conducive to people working without being completely stressed all the time giving them the right tools the right resources the right training um it's about work it's not about people as such you know yes people carry out the job but create good work you won't make people ill so with that in mind, I guess it's then probably even more effective in today's remote working environment, right? So, it's, it, you know, you're talking about a factory situation or, um, you know, where you can watch what's going on. Um, you can't necessarily do that, you know, without the, you know, within the boundaries of uh, not spying on people, but, mm. you know, speaking to people and asking them you know what's going on why why have they become less efficient at home or mm. uh, you know what, what's going on what's stopping them from working doing those sorts of engagements and consulting and and um you know talking to people um is probably just as effective and if not more effective in in, in a remote working environment mm. absolutely you know even things like you know what makes you stressed in a remote work environment well giving me a perk box isn't going to fix the fact that my back's killing me 
because I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm crouched over at the dining room table. So have you spoke to anybody? How is your comfort at home? You know, have you got the right things in the home environment that you need to have? Is your Wi-Fi strong enough? You know, there's just all there's just such a mass of stuff that we need to be doing with all of this flexible working. And it's just making sure, do we have the right tools, equipment, environment, resources to do the job that we're doing? The only way we're going to know that is to ask people and to consult people. You know, I see far too often HR teams or managers or whoever, all with the best of intention, making decisions on behalf of people that they've not even spoken to. Oh, I've got a really good idea. We're going to do this. I've got a really good idea. You know, if I've got a bad back from sitting on my dining table on a dining chair with no cushion on it all day, and you set me up with a good working environment and a decent chair and, and stop spending money on other stuff that adds no value to me whatsoever, but you didn't ask me, you didn't ask me for my opinion didn't ask me what I needed. Yeah, I see other organisations. A friend of mine um, works for one of the big banks and they've been fantastic. You know, they've made sure that ergonomically they're all set up, that they've got the proper chairs, anything that they want or need to do their jobs from home, they asked for it and they got it. Um, and it's, it's very different from all different walks of business. Yeah. So I think, I think we, you know, we fully accept, you know, that, mental health is, is a real and serious issue you know for people and and actually by organizations not talking to their people like you're suggesting and actually finding out what the problem is rather than you know thinking they know what the issue is and, and trying to figure you know fix it but um but not just on you know the negative effects but the, the benefits of a positive approach to to maintaining and improving it brings so you know with, with more people now choosing to you know and they are choosing to be isolated let's be honest you know people prefer you know, people in general, you know, because we can see that through, you know, our stats and um, and, and the way that our clients are working, that they, they prefer to have either work from home or have a combination of, um, you know, in the office or working from home. By and large, you know, I mean, the, the stats are, you know, dramatically higher than they were before. So, mm. um, so does, does, do you think this presents an issue for uh, organisations um, you know, with people now preferring to, you know, work from home. So they, they can't be in the office, you know, they can't see that, you know, maybe Steve or Sue is, you know, a little bit down today and saying, oh, hey, you know, how are you doing? And I know we can jump on Teams, but it's not the same, you know, because people can present themselves differently on a Teams call, can't they? So, you know, is it tougher now for organisations to, to develop and maintain that positive culture in a remote working so environment? It's tricky, isn't it? I mean, I, I was speaking to somebody the other day I had on, a, on our podcast and, um, you know, he's like, we actually overcomplicate this. We're making it more complicated than it needs to be. He's like, you know, and I agreed with him, you know, this hybrid working is a gift, you know. We've got parents that are now able to spend more time with their kids. We've got a reduction in, like, the amount of money that we're spending on childcare, the amount of money we're spending on fuel, sitting in cars, and all the rest of it. So there were a lot of benefits to be done there. And I think if you already had a toxic culture where it was difficult to uh, maintain good relationships in the workplace, then, yeah, you've got more, you've got your work cut out for you that bit more, having people working remotely. And maybe a lot of people want to work remotely because they can't stand to be in the office, you know, <laughs> then you've got a different, you've got a different situation there. Uh, 
but yeah if you've got these work environments where it was a good atmosphere it was great then easily you know to easily introduce you know we just have a, a team meeting which is nothing to talk about work we just have a coffee half hour where we jump on and we rotate it if people, you know, phones need to be covered or whatever. But we have coffee huddles or whatever. There's ways to kind of still get people talking, create that kind of water cooler, coffee, you know, around the kettle kind of environment by just making sure that we we pop a coffee. Yes, there will be challenges. But, you know, if John's not turning up and he used to be the life and soul and he's never coming on and his Zoom camera switched off, we can kind of work out there's maybe something going on with John. And then that's a phone call, or that's a chat, or why don't you come into the office, let's have a chat, let's have a find out what's going on. That's more of a conversation. But this is where you really kind of, you know, you know and understand your teams and, and connect with them. And again, having the technologies in place and the tools in place that we can do this quite quickly um, and efficiently is really important. So yeah. I think, yeah, there, there are challenges that are presented with it, but none of it's insurmountable. It's hard, isn't it? Because, I think, you know, I'm a great believer in that, you know, yes, organisations should provide a positive culture and, you know, all of the things that we've discussed today, I think are fantastic. And I, I've certainly taken a couple of takeaways from this as well, but um, and how we could improve. But I also think that, you know, employees have, you know, a, a responsibility to look after themselves as well, you know, and, you know, you said it a minute ago is that, you know, everyone's taking the benefits from, you know, having more time with their family. And, um, you know, we also have to recognise that not everyone wants to spend more time with their family. Um, you know, there's, there's, you know, but there's so, so much bad news out there in terms of, you know, things like domestic violence and, um, you know, um, you know, money issues and all these sorts of things is that all of a sudden that, that, that people, organisations get worried that that's, that becomes their responsibility. Um, and whilst you can support them in every way you can you don't always know about these issues so sometimes there there's a there's a there's a there's a line that um you know then there's a again there's that psychological safety environment that, that we need to create i i get but um i, I think that um all, you know employees have a, a responsibility looking after themselves and absolutely yeah you absolutely. know we, we had an issue recently you know where you know we had someone who was used to coming into the office and um then we we went into lockdown again and you know really really affected him and we're like well you know you're not we're not really we're in a quasi lockdown it was that period where you sort of could go out but they said work from home if you could and all that sort of stuff and and he just decided to stop going to the gym and it's like you know well why have you done that and he's like well i don't know he was just getting out of bed logging on you know and um and, and not doing any all of the things he would do when he'd go into the office like get up go to the gym come home have some breakfast get showered, change, come into the office, you know, set for the day, you know, and yet when he was working from home, he was getting out of bed and rolling straight into the office effectively, you know. Yeah. Do, do you think organisations have to manage that? Is that, you know, is that their responsibility or the employer's responsibility? How, you know, is Again, a it's, a, it's a tricky one. So you've noticed that and you've noticed that behaviour or, you know, yeah. you've had that conversation with a member of staff, but I think, you know, you're right. There's an absolute shared responsibility when it comes to mental health at work. So, and again, that's some of the stuff that we do. You know, providing tools and and, and data and well-being tools for um, individuals so that they can manage their own. You know, and understand what it is that makes them tick in in, in terms of mental health and kind of what their boundaries are, what their triggers are, that type of thing. But from a from an employer's perspective, I think one of the really important things here that we can do as an employer is to really educate people and, and, and 
kind of, you know, do stuff around time management. Let's have a look at how do we set boundaries as an employee? You know, all of the stuff you've just said about that individual um, in your workplace. I fell foul of that. And I think that the many of us that fell foul of that. I'm at work, therefore, you know, I go from from the bed to the shower or maybe skip the shower to the bed to the laptop and then maybe the shower at lunchtime. Or, you know, we had this real disconnect of the plug being pulled out from under us and all of our structure went. So that, you know, we, we're like little autobots, aren't we, sometimes? We get up, we get in the shower, we get dressed, we go to work, and we have had that structure ingrained in us for so long that all of a sudden you don't have to get up, you don't have to do this, that all falls away. So can we put some structure in place? Can we, you know, give some guidance to employees? Do we just run some simple workshops that yeah. focus on time management and setting boundaries? And as employers... You know, do we make it clear what those boundaries are? You know, so some employers will be going, loving it, getting 12 hours a day out of this bad boy. Now I'm getting 15 <laughs> hours a day out of these. It's not costing me anymore. But look, all of this productivity. And I think that's maybe one of the factors why, you know, a lot of organisations did thrive. People had to stop working. Yeah. That's what they needed to kind of keep themselves um yeah, it's Men always coming out the best well. with companies, you know, that everyone's going, oh, wait, look how productive we are all of a sudden. So uh, everyone must be happy. But actually, it's there's a there's a responsibility to to make sure they're not overworking um, yeah. and getting that balance, of, you know, because I think, you know, I was talking to a friend last night about this is that the drive into the office to drive home, you know, that 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 period of time where you get to either wind yourself up or wind yourself wind down. down. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, really important. And, and, and you, you mentioned it a minute ago, and I know from our previous conversations, um, that you know you talk a lot about data and um and you know and helping organization because that's that's what businesses understand isn't it right yeah you know yes yes you can sort of test you know who's happy but it really does depend who you ask right and absolutely and most of the time when you want to hear the thing you want to know you'll go and ask the person you know think that knows it right so if you want to say are we happy you'll go to the happiest person in the business and say what's it like to work here and they go yeah it's all right yeah yeah uh, but um, you know, you talk a lot about data and helping organisations understand that. So, where do where do you start by understanding if you've got a good or bad culture and and, and where to fix it? I mean, we talked about you know engagement, but how how do you do it? Yeah, so you know, there's lots of um, tools. So one of the things that employers need to do, yeah, they need to look at um, they have this duty of care to keep to keep employees safe, okay? And that duty of care isn't just physically safe, but it's the health and welfare of, of employees. And that's kind of in the past, you know, things like welfare of employees making sure you've got enough toilets for you know everybody and all the rest of it because there was nothing else really around that health bit and there was a bit of a lack of an understanding that employers needed to look at mental health risk and psychological health risk of of staff and that's kind of what we help with so you can have survey tools and there's shed loads of of them and people have been surveyed to death okay um over the years and the reason they've been surveyed to death they've been asked loads and loads of questions and given no feedback no input not seeing any change so what's the point yeah um so um and then when they're asked questions they may be asked to describe how work is do you have a busy day uh do you have tight deadlines these types of questions which yeah we've all got busy days that's you know we've all that but what we do is we ask everybody in the organization how did these different areas of work impact you so um uh workload autonomy a clarity in your role, um, management support, co-worker support, harassment, bullying, sexual harassment, whatever it may be. But we look at these kind of key work factors that impact people. 
And what we're not saying to them is like, is work like this? We're saying, uh, is does this happen in kind of your work? Does you do you feel this happens in your workplace and to the point that it impacts your well-being? Yeah. And if it does impact your well-being, how often does that happen and how long does it last for? So we're not just asking a generic question about how work is. We're asking over the last few months and the last three months, how has this particular factor of work impacted your well-being? If it's not impacted, you're great, brilliant, let's jog on, we'll find out about the next thing. But then what we're able to do based on the impact, the severity and duration to an individual's well-being, we're able to identify those key hotspots of areas that we need to focus in on for improvement. And then we're able to break that down. Remember we talked before about kind of big 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 company mentality and then SMEs, but we're able to break that down regardless of the size of the organization into work groups. So it could be by department and it could be by job role or it could be by shift patterns to understand because what's going on in one part of the business will be very different to what's going on in another part of the business. If you're multi-sited, your Manchester office might be thriving and you know they've got very little going on that's impacting well-being. But in your, you know, your London office, that might be the opposite picture. So we're able to identify hotspots that are both positive and negative. Okay. And then use that information. You know, it's not giving us the answers, but it's just saying these are the areas that we need to focus in on. And at that point, the people that have been asked to contribute to the survey are asked to contribute to the solutions and the follow-up from the survey. And that's what a lot of organisations miss. So don't do the survey unless you're going to do the follow-up. You're wasting your time. Um, but then when you do the follow-up, you get the input. You know, what is it that was the issue? Oh, it was, I don't know like we did with the teams, um, with the training company, it was the workload. Well, what is the problem with the workload? Well, it's actually this. So actually, what's the solution? Can we do that? Yes, we can. Brilliant. Let's get it done. You've engaged, you've asked, you've engaged, you've consulted and you've acted. And then what we're able to do is to go back, repeat that, because this is all about this kind of continuous improvement model, repeat that and identify then then compare did with that have the desired effect does the data show us that that got better six months down the line or 12 months down the line and actually there wouldn't be just one kind of action plan going on with different improve with one you know set of improvements for the organization there will be multiple improvement plans going on in different levels of the organization different departments different areas because this needs a kind of um each department has has their own um, stress factors yeah so sales would be completely different to production you know we don't go in a factory that's really noisy that's got loads of noisy machinery and give everybody a pair of ear defenders to protect <laughs> us against noise regs we don't it would be just stupid but yet we do with we do that with mental health yeah. oh, we've got a toxic work up to well, I'll tell you what, we could all have a generic approach rather than getting under the bonnet. And a lot of the time, a lot of organisations don't want to get under the bonnet. They don't want to know there's a dead body in the box. Yeah. But actually, that dead body is going to start stinking at some point. So you're going to have to. Um, and yeah, a lot of other, other organisations that we speak to, when they get, when the penny drops, they realise it's not just a case of, mental health first aiders we need to do something wider to as i said before 
to operationalize it and bring it into the way that we do work every single yeah. day yeah and you think that you know it seems like does that can that apply to the same in, in a remote working environment it's, it's exactly the same you know how you go about recognizing that culture but good or bad you know in a remote working environment you know some organizations are completely remote now so you know the same same thing applies yeah you can use the tools in exactly the same way there's obviously going to be more work in terms of the communication and change management and you know you need you know you need, you need to have project teams in place for this it needs to be part of somebody's job role somebody's responsibility and this is what i talk I mean when i talk about operationalizing it you know i see so many organizations um send for example mental health first aiders to us for training and um, one of the questions we'll ask them is um so how were you recruited for this process I put my hand up when they asked for volunteers for first aiders. Okay, how did you get your actual day job? I went through an interview process. Okay, as a as an employer, by putting mental health first aiders into your organisation, you're actually introducing more potential risk into your business yeah. because you're giving people that have been on a two day training course responsibility for looking after other people's mental health. If you think that's what you're trying to do, uh, but you didn't take them through a recruitment process. You didn't look at the reasons for wanting to do that. Normally people volunteer because they've got a trigger of some kind in their own personal life that's made them want to help other people. Yeah. Um, you've given them no scope of what the role entails. You've given them no procedure to go with it. So what happens if somebody presents to them with um, suicidal thoughts as an organisation? What structure have you put in place? what reporting you know we'll get somebody who's been on our courses and two days later they'll ring up oh such and such has happened i don't know what to do because there's no process to back it up in yeah. the organization so you know this this stuff you know culture workplaces making work good for people it just can't be done there's a dip in a dip out we have to operationalize it and we need to take it seriously it needs to be in job roles it needs to be in job responsibilities it needs to be in the way that we communicate with our staff and it needs to have the same level of focus the same boardroom um attention that profits get and that quality gets and that products and services get um because it's as vital to your business as all of those other things you know and if you've got high levels of staff attrition if you've got people leaving your business um because it's a toxic environment you know they're in and they're out you know it's costing you money a lot a lot of money i mean you as a recruitment company you probably you know that's probably good for you but <laughs> <laughs> not necessarily in that way but yeah, <laughs> but yeah you know it, it is costing people a lot of money and you know and it's organizations have to pause and reflect and take that time to really understand the impact of, of what this is costing them because um although it's not always completely transparent um on the balance sheet or in the PL, once they start to look and unearth these numbers they can be pretty horrific and pretty scary pay for well-being programs 10 times over yeah which is was going to be my next question is that you know i think companies spend a lot of money on healthcare and you know private healthcare and you know um mental health well-being programs perk box programs whatever they look like you know there's there's, there's loads of them out there um you know and it's almost like a box ticking exercise to a lot of organizations not everyone because some of them really do care about their people um but it, it's you know they're investing in their people as opposed to maybe solving the problem um so um 
which again, you know, it, it, it seems crazy when you think of it from a business perspective, you know, anything else in a business, you'd fix it, wouldn't you? you Absolutely. Know? And yeah. I always use the analogy because again, because I come from a manufacturing background, you know, if we had a production line and at the end of the production line, products were coming off that weren't quite up to yeah. par, we wouldn't go and employ your team of widget fixers. <laughs> we would get an engineer to look at the machine, to engineer to identify the root cause and then we would look at a way to engineer the problem away yet when it comes to workplace mental health we employ a team of widget fixers yeah. and the people are the widgets yeah i think and um you know you, you said it again a minute ago i posted about this recently as well about um you know that mental health and, and and well-being should be a boardroom objective as opposed to you know much like you know even cyber security is um it's taking a while to get that to become a boardroom mm. objective um and uh, having a, a person that represented that on, on the board so you know clearly you know we, we understand the value of you know you know um happy employees and productive employees and things like that so you know why wouldn't you have someone that's focused on maintaining that and an expert like you say not not just someone who's you know uh, been on a boot camp for the weekend and uh, and become an expert all of a sudden so um so yeah so do you have any tips or you know uh, uh, beyond sort of you know how can organizations kick start you know and start moving in the right direction and and you know um you know a couple of maybe top three tips for helping organizations develop um you know that positive environment and culture to start improving themselves before maybe engaging someone like yourself mm. i think you know, it's, it's a very, <laughs> yeah. it's a very broad kind of um, question to answer. But I think, you know, in the past, where we've ended up today with workplace well-being is because people haven't really known where to look. Yeah, there's been like, oh, there's a mental health first aid and there's a reward recognition here and there's a gym membership there. So we've all tried to do the right thing. We've all tried to find what is the right thing that we need to do, but we've missed the point in so much as it needs to be part and parcel of the fabric of the way that we do business and operationalize and stuff. So we know flexible work's gonna become permanent. Hybrid, hybrid working is here to stay. Um, people wanna feel recognized and rewarded you know, for what it is that they're doing um, and feel connected to their organization, to the values of their organization, uh, to the business and, and, and what it is that they're doing. Um, and I think it's, we need to stop ticking boxes when it comes to workplace, mental health and culture. We need to stop talking the talk and we need to start taking action. And I think the biggest thing for me is that there's so much out there now, so much out there. And, you know, we've had the uh, release of, a, of an ISO standard. Um, so I don't know how many of your listeners are familiar with yeah. ISO standards, but, you know, most people are generally familiar with ISO 9001. Um, and there's been now a standard brought out that um, looks at exactly um, this subject matter. So we're talking about psychological health and safety, looking at the risk factors, what are the areas that have potential to cause employees to become stressed? And we fix that and resolve how work is done um, and make work better for us uh, rather than waiting for people to become ill. Um, so there's a lot more granular detail out there and a lot more guidance a lot more frameworks on how this can be done so you know the tools have been created for us to be able to operationalize well-being and we need to start taking this seriously like you know years and years ago did we have anybody that was responsible for quality yeah before they you know we had quality managers and everything coming in and isos and uh, and, and quality control procedures um 
you know, we need to start bringing that in to the business and we need to start having people in positions of seniority that have uh, responsibility for this and it needs to be more than box ticking. So use frameworks like the ISO standard. That's something that we're very, um, very, very aligned to. Um, use things like the HSE stress management standards. They're in there, but operationalize it. Don't dip in, don't dip out. Don't waste your money on mental health first aiders if you're not going to back it up with anything else in the business. You're just wasting your money. If you've got a toxic work environment where you're just employing first aiders um, to, to you know, sticky plaster people back together again, they're going to be out the door before you know it. Um, so really have to think about what it is you're invested in, what your return on that investment is going to be, and have a plan. You can't just go, oh, we're just going to do X, Y, and Z for workplace well-being. You need a short-term plan, you need a medium-term plan, and you need a long-term plan, and it needs to be a boardroom agenda. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I love that. I mean, and like you say, the fact that there's an ISO standard for it now just shows how how serious this is, and, mm. and organisations are going to start adopting it because it's it's functional, isn't it? You know, it's a standard that you have to align to, um, like you know, like you say, nine thousand one, or even security has a, a standard twenty seven double one. Yeah. Uh, you know you have to align to that and you know even if you don't become certified you can align to those standards um, absolutely um, and you don't have to take all of it you don't have to take all of it you know for me and this is like you get two sides of the argument as well with ISO standards <laughs> yeah you know it's like oh it's just bureaucratic yeah. procedures and audits well it is if you make it that way but it doesn't have to be you yeah. know this framework has been put together by over 70 different countries mental health experts represented across the globe have put this together with the best in practice from the Canadian standards, from the UK standards, from the Australian standards. It's all been developed. All the hard work has been done for organisations. And then there's organisations like myself that can help you to adopt this standard. We've got the tools, we've got the frameworks um, that we can do this in a really simple way. Um, it doesn't have to be complicated and it doesn't we don't all have to be psychologists yeah. to do this. It's not about understanding mental health. It's about understanding that good work is good for business. That's it. It's yeah. no more complicated than that. Make work good for everybody. You'll have a good business. Yeah. You don't have to yeah, sit but... around doing kumbaya. <laughs> that's, <it. laughs> well, that's the perception, isn't it? Let's be it honest. It is. It uh, is. Uh, you know, and, and the fact that there's a business standard and, you know, it, it, for, you know, for a business owner like myself is to, to be able to functionalize it, you know, and put it into place. And, and but with the benefit of that is being able to track, you know, and improve your environment. Um, you know, even if you have a great environment already, you know, aligning to a, a, a recognized standard is only going to improve where you are. I mean, so there's no, you know, there's, there'll be companies out there now. And I know that are going, yeah, we've, we've got a great company, you know, we're all right. Everyone's happy. And, you know, we've had people live say it for 10 years and I say to some people sometimes that's a bad thing I stayed for you know? 10 uh, yeah I stayed in a really toxic work environment yeah for nine years yeah exactly and I coasted you know they didn't get the best out of me I stayed because it suited me to stay I didn't stay because I was aligned to their values I didn't sail into work every day or skip into work every day wanting to do the best job I can like I did when I worked in another organization yeah, yeah. I did what I needed to do to get through the day and they got out of me as much as I felt that they gave to me um and I could they could have had twice as much out of me but they weren't interested which made me not interested yeah 
absolutely. And uh, on that um, on that point, I th you know, it's been fantastic. I, th I think um, you know, really really insightful, some really interesting stuff. And if you're interested in talking to Sheila about it more, we'll um, we'll be putting the the links and uh, contact details um, out with the podcast. So feel free to get in contact with Sheila. Uh, I'm sure she'd be happy to speak with you. Um, and hopefully you've taken something away from that as well today. It's um, some some really interesting points, um, some really straightforward points, I think, as well. Um, that's uh, that people can probably go away and, and um, start doing themselves uh, and start that journey on and uh, and understanding their workforce and um, and their employee engagement and and uh, mental well-being and uh, you know hopefully creating more productive happier workplaces so uh, Sheila thanks very much for your time today I really 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 appreciate it you're welcome it's been it's been great to chat as I said before you can never shut me up <laughs> <laughs> thanks guys